Hi, this is Day for Night with Caridad Switch, a series that looks at the intersection between theater and poetry in the edgelands, in the wilderness. In today's episode, uh, I'm actually going to read a piece by the historian Nate Holdren. It's a piece called Broken Sociality. And I think it exemplifies uh, in a very vulnerable and honest way uh, a lot of what is happening right now to be temporal for a second right now in the world in 2023, in the early part of 2023. So this piece was published by Pest, P-E-S-T-E magazine, which is an online magazine. Uh, that looks at issues related to public health uh, and the social contract. I'm just going to dive in. Uh, Broken Sociality by Nate Holgren. Pandemic life remains terribly lonely. It's recently become differently so. Elements of pre-pandemic normal Social life have returned, but not for those of us who aren't going along with the so-called back to normal. I want a name for this painful situation. Lacking a better one, I started calling it broken sociality. The pseudo-return in the new normal means social life and community appear to be more available, but for many of us, they aren't really no more than a meal. Someone spat on is really available as food. Experiences of community are offered, but not actually present, in that they're present only via serious risks, which are often un or under acknowledged. I think of this facet of broken sociality as social loneliness. This involves more time spent alone, reduced time doing things and seeing people compared to pre-pandemic because fewer places are doing anything, let alone enough to mitigate COVID exposure. Sometimes we're required to be in places in person that lack adequate mitigation. And others in those places don't seem concerned. For instance, in my first week teaching this semester, I saw exactly one person at work wearing a mask, a student. I felt terribly alone, specifically in the sense of being alone in a crowd around people, but in in important respects cut off from them. There may well be more people masking and feeling like I do, and we're just not seeing each other. In the headspace I'm in at work now, my first impulse is to move pretty briskly and disengage compared to the place of openness and excitement I used to have at work pre-pandemic. This colors my perceptions. While I go from place to place, if I see at a glance that no one's wearing a mask, well, that fits with how I'm already feeling. So it feels like confirmation. 
social loneliness blurs into another facet of broken sociality, what I think of as political loneliness. This is the sense of a gulf in values or an understanding of some very important aspects of the world. Knowing that the return to normal means even more dying and life-altering suffering is terrible. Knowing that many people seem not to realize this, that people in officially respected positions seem to find this acceptable, that fellow travelers on the left don't treat this as a priority, that all feels isolating to a degree I find hard to overstate. What's happening, I think, is that there's no consensus on the reality we're living in. Ideologically, the pandemic continues for some of us and is over for others, while, of course, it hasn't actually ended. It feels like living in a different world from other people, but still interacting. In some cases, this means old relationships feel different and not for the better. What I've called political and social loneliness overlap and are related significantly. Significantly, Political loneliness is less place dependent. It isn't so much a matter where I am and who I'm around. It's possible to feel it as I often do, even when I'm literally alone as I often am, but rather comes from a sense of differing from other people on the values, assessments, and explanations through which we understand the pandemic and the management of the pandemic by institutions. This comes up sometimes in casual phone calls with far-flung friends and family as we chat about our lives. I try to suppress any urge to be judgmental about individual choices and to focus my anger at those with the most institutional power. But I do notice differences on this stuff those differences increase the sense of isolation. This is heavily reinforced by various explicit and implicit messages from public officials and other high-status actors. Another element of all this is a disconnect over the status of the trade-offs, so to speak. We need community. Those of us who can't be in a space due to the COVID risks are forced out of those spaces. Those of us who choose to weigh the costs and benefits are forced to do the weighing. And when the balance comes out that it's not worth it, we're also forced out of those spaces. Each of these brings its own particular kind of distress. Some of these situations force us to keep reaffirming or absenting ourselves from these settings of broken sociality because of the COVID risks and because of our political objections. This isolation can feel like it's our own fault, and it also can feel to other people like it's just a preference or a quirk or us being too worried or weird or whatever. Some friends of mine in these situations feel a lot of self-doubt, hoping they're doing the right thing and that it's worth it. I think they are but saying so doesn't erase all their doubts. Myself, I mostly feel sad, angry, alone. Being forced out of social spaces or forced to do so 
forced to do the risk calculation is a kind of coercion as well. For those of us required to be in spaces with more risk than we're okay with, like me, teaching face-to-face, -face, and my mom at her retail job, the added risk is coerced. But none of this kind of coercion is widely recognized as coercion, let alone recognized in that particular setting. So it amounts to having to eat shit and smile about it. To cope, my mom and I have talked on the phone about how everyone with a boss has to eat some shit at their job. It's just a built-in part of a capitalist society, unfortunately. As with so much else, the pandemic is a particular and especially bad infection, inflection of basic patterns in capitalist society. Obviously, the harms of COVID infection are the worst part. I'm very aware of that. My mom's in rough shape from her infection and has what looks to be some potentially permanent loss of vision. I think the coercion we're expected to smile through feeds the sense of loneliness, though, and this distress is real. It's my impression that all this is getting worse as a result of an intensification of what Beatrice Adler, Bolton, and Artie Bierkant have called the sociological construction of the end of the pandemic as a crisis. The supposed return to normal is creating a lot more suffering, inequality, disablement, and death, which not have happened, but for the pseudo-return. This is by far the most awful thing about this return. I want to stress that I know this. My point here is to try to think through what is, for me, a less examined aspect of this current nightmare. This is not at all to say I think the stuff I'm examining here is more important than the deaths, hospitalizations, and other awful harms. Those atrocities are clearly more important. The Biden administration has recently doubled down on its brutal, inhumane approach to the pandemic. Its main goal in doing so seems to be to continue to normalize processes of social murder. I think it's possible that the sense of isolation right now is serving as an ideology, in the sense that it's acting as a shaping force that helps further tilt the playing field politically to the advantage of the powers that be. Now, this is not only or even primarily a matter of explicitly held beliefs, but rather is to an important degree how life in the pandemic is experienced for a lot of people, something that is in effect exuded spontaneously from pandemic life as organized by the prevailing institutions. The isolation resulting from broken sociality could be, to borrow a phrase from the political economy scholar, Peter Burnham, writing in a different context a matter of, quote, ideological effects of changed material practices, unquote. This may also create social conditions for an elite-led backlash against those of us who remain more cautious than the new dominant norm. I think the fact that some of us now are turning down invitations or entering social spaces with what appears to be unwarranted caution or some of the time appearing as or voicing an 
unwelcome reminder of potential threats and past traumas from COVID may mark us out as different and as more subject to derision. At least from the looks I sometimes get while masking, I feel like my caution marks me as a social weirdo. I will say I have, in some other settings, been able to explain in a non-confrontational way why I'm asking. This feels better in the sense of closing some of the gap I feel between me and other people, insofar as it gets rid of the sense that they think I'm weird for masking. But it also opens another gap, in that I want to engage them on masking themselves. But I don't, because it feels like it would go back to them thinking I'm a weirdo. And so at best, I can pick a flavor of loneliness. Of course, it's hard to read a worldview off a look, and my sense of isolation primes me to read things this way. Here, as with all of this, I'm very unsure, which is itself unsettling. It certainly feels like the division between people with different outlooks on the pandemic has gotten more intense on social media lately. And it seems like there has been a raft of op-eds depicting people like us as rational or worse. I'm conflicted here. I sometimes think that if pandemic life organically produced derision for those of us who aren't on board with what the Biden administration wants to be, the new consensus normal, then there wouldn't be any need for the derisive op-eds. On the other hand, the descriptions of us in those derisive accounts do seem to have a ring of truth for some people, such that it seems to speak to their experiences of us. The elite consensus on the pandemic and the government's effort to create and sustain a popular consensus has shifted very far to the right. We've gone from flatten the curve to you do you to the pandemic is over. As part of that shift, there has been an attack on the elements of a popular consensus about the pandemic among ordinary people. To varying degrees, some of us are living in keeping with an earlier consensus that explicitly recognized danger and at least to some degree shared a solidaristic set of values regarding how to respond to the pandemic. Meanwhile, some of us are living in keeping with the new pseudo-normal, again, to varying degrees. This fractured lack of consensus generates loneliness, as I talked about above. Or to put it another way, loneliness is, in part, an emotional experience of that fracture. It can also generate what are, in my view, conflicts that are a dead end, battles that don't win wars, and I suspect it can give rise to or reinforce mistaken explanations of the pandemic. Personally, the loneliness that results from all this tends to feel like a depleted energylessness. I get home from teaching, feel, teaching feeling totally wrecked and can easily fall into the deep sleep that comes from exhaustion. But sometimes it wells up hot. This seems to be the case as well for people who participate more in the new pseudo-normal in the form of the occasional derision I mentioned and some periodic heated exchanges. I understand all of that. I have moments when I want to yell. 
and to swear at people. In that mood, I've been pretty rude to some people on social media occasionally. It doesn't feel good, or at least not for very long, like after an initial sugar rush. I try to remind myself that yelling at powerless individuals isn't accomplishing anything worth accomplishing. That other people need to yell sometimes too, as part of trying to live with the unlivable. And that no amount of yelling at anyone I interact with is going to change the pandemic. I don't meaningfully interact with anyone with real institutional power or serious influence on any powerful social movements. We're all just small nobodies trying to keep on keeping on amid a world historical cluster fuck. I'm worried that all of this will get worse, that more people will lash out against us, some of them as an organic part of their emotional lives, as they in their own way try to process the horrors of their presence and their lives and roles within it, and others for them of them for money as functionaries and talking heads and propagandists. I'm worried that small differences within the communities of people who are relatively like-minded on the pandemic will fracture, leading to more isolation. Obviously, those of us tending to abstain from what I've called here the broken sociality of normal, pseudo-normal, funhouse, mirror-normal life, amid the ideological but not actual ending of the pandemic, need to continue to find and make alternative sources of sociality simply in order to sustain ourselves in this intolerable situation. A friend who, like me, has spent many years in far-left circles said recently that they think they've only processed a small fraction of the shock and trauma of seeing that over a million COVID deaths made so little difference in the world politically and is not a more widespread scandal, even on the far left. I've resisted letting the ramifications of this to some of my relationships sink in. And then there is processing the grief for the dead and harmed that we know, for those we don't know, for the changes in our relationships, for the way the world will never be the same, which I think has barely begun. These aren't all equivalent losses, but they are losses. And the sense of being alone while facing these losses, the sense that only some of us experience all of this loss, further amplifies the loneliness. I find myself periodically getting books from the library on grief or browsing them online. I never read them. At most, I open them, glance down, shut them, or close the tab. It's too hard. I grew up around a lot of old working class people who were alive in the Great Depression of the 1930s. They talked about it all the time, especially at mealtimes. It changed basic parts of their lives, like how they ate. The memory shaped how they perceived and interpreted events for the rest of their lives. This is going to be like that. I try not to think about it, 
and I'm desperate for community with whom to think about it. And that is Broken Sociality by Nate Holdren. Please uh, read more of Nate's work. Uh, they've published in many uh, uh, periodicals and they have a beautiful book called Injury Impoverished uh, on the injuries on the working poor in society. Um, that's today's episode. More will come <laughs> in bits and starts uh, in this very, very, very strange year. Uh, for now, this is about you and I in this theater. You there in the dark, and I here, wondering who you are. Thanks for listening to Day for Night. <laughs>